Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz bassist Joe Fonda. He talked about his new project, the CD Bamco, with the OG JB Quartet, capturing that extraordinary improvisatory collaboration of four legendary leaders and composers. It includes saxophonist Oliver Lake, cornetist Graham Hayes, bassist Joe Fonda, and the great drummer Barry Ashwell. Joe is originally from upstate New York, and after studying at the Berklee College of Music, he settled in New Haven playing with Mr. Wadada Leo Smith, among many others. Soon after moving to New York City in the early 80s, his life would begin taking off in great directions. He's got great tales to tell, so please get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Okay, hey, Joe, thanks for taking a minute out, man. I'm looking forward to talking with you. You're welcome, and, and I'm looking forward to it, too. It's nice to have the opportunity. Beautiful. So let's talk about your latest release, Bamco, with the OG JB Quartet. It's your first album. Great sound, fresh, as usual. Talk to me about the artistic vision with this illustrious collective of jazz cats. Well, I, I think it um, started as... Um, Barry and I, Barry Ochoa and I had been playing for quite a few years in a trio format with Billy Bang. We probably did it for 10 years. So, and then Billy passed, unfortunately. We'd been thinking about, you know, how do we carry on as a, as a trio for quite a while after Billy passed. And the idea I had at one point was uh, to play with Oliver because I had been working with Oliver in some other context. So that was the original idea I had actually and then I was uh, somehow I got into a conversation with a, a very important friend of mine and a a, a, a real important person for uh, in terms of the music his name is Kunle Mwanga a man who's been involved, from Chicago who's who's managed everybody in the business you know the art ensemble Cecil Braxton David Murray and he said he said, man, why don't uh, why don't we why don't you make it a quartet? It was just his idea. Why don't you make it a quartet and invite Graham Hayes? And I and I thought, man, why not? You know, that sounds like a great idea. So, so actually, Kunle was the connection to Graham. We actually had a concert in New York that Kunle arranged. Uh, so we had an opportunity to play together as a quartet. Uh, it was a memorial concert for Jerome Cooper at roulette and the music sounded fantastic and everybody was into it from that moment forward so that's how it came together and it's been growing and developing ever since other things i could add is i mean i I grew up listening to for me i mean graham's younger than i am but barry and oliver are from the generation where somebody my age would have studied their music in order to be a part of this music. So both of them in their early periods were mentors of mine. I, I lived on uh, those early records that uh, Barry made with Sam Rivers and Circle and uh, Braxton and Oliver's early records like um, on, on Arista, these records he had on Arista. I, I wore those records out. So it was an extra it was an extra uh wonderful thing for me to have those people together with me and then and then Graham you know also is a, he's a master musician so 
<laughs> it's exciting. It's an exciting group, to say the least. You know, the great thing about interviewing jazz cats is that I hear this, I hear this notion all the time. All of these heroes that you had, you get to actually grow up and you get to play with them. What's that like when you look across the room and see Oliver or Graham and you're like, man, alive? Just that Maslovian, self-actualized moment where you're like, I'm here, I've done it. I mean, how do you put that in check to just be an artist? Well, let's see. You, how do you do that? I guess you do it with great humility and great uh, appreciation for the fact that it can happen and that you, as the individual who's standing there looking at this situation, saying, wow, these guys were my mentors and now I'm here with them, you you realize, man, I guess I did the work in order to arrive at this very place, you know, because it won't happen if you don't put in the time and the years and the dedication to actually arrive at that place. So for me, I, I had moments like that where I was standing behind Oliver and Graham and next to Barry, and I'm listening to the music and thinking, man, how lucky I am, how fortunate I am to be here with these people. And I guess you uh, hung in there, Fonda. You hung in, you did the work, you stayed true. So you're in the presence of these great masters. How, how fortunate we are. So let's go back in time to a young Joe Fonda in upstate New York and get an idea of the beginnings of your musical journey. How did it all begin? What jazz got you going? Just kind of talk to me a little. Well, I was an R&B musician. That was my generation. You know, I, you know so I, I came up playing uh, electric bass, listening to the Allman Brothers and Hendrix and Jethro Tull and, you know, that Zeppelin in the Buddy Miles, so uh, Howlin' Wolf in the London session. So this was this was my the music of my generation. So the jazz thing started probably partly with my father, who was a trumpet player, who uh, had quit music uh, for many years, and then near my. Near, when I was around 16 or 17, he decided he wanted to play again. He started uh, having jam sessions at this uh, place where he uh, worked, which was a bowling alley in Fort Plain, New York. And uh, he actually invited me to come and, and, and play along with uh, him and these guys. I didn't know anything about this music, but my father had thought uh, that his son had uh, gotten good enough where they'd give me a chance to try to figure it out. So, I mean, we were playing, he was playing things like Satin Doll and A-Train, but I, I really had no idea what it was. But I I hung in there with them. I remember buying some books and trying to learn chord changes and uh, trying to study the music. And, and I began to get it near the end of his life. Um, he died when I was 18. So that might have been the beginning of the adventure into jazz, and then I had, that was when the fusion era started. So somehow, actually, my father, my father again, he had a friend in town who had some some of them Freddie Hubbard CTI records, you know, uh, Skydiving, Red Clay. So we were going over to my to my father's friend's house and sitting down and listening to these these records. He also had Jean Luc Ponty, Sunday Walk. So 
my father started turning me on to, to this other music and my ears opened up to it. Then I found a weather report and went through the whole fusion thing when I left home, went to school. And from there, you know, I found Cecil Taylor and uh, Charlie Parker and Thelonious Monk and et cetera, et cetera. So, and I left the electric bass for quite a few years and just started playing upright. So just recently have I, not recently, I got back to the electric bass about 15 years ago when I decided I needed to get, I had a period where I thought I needed to get back to the blues. So I um, started play, playing with Kenny Johnson, who was uh, James Cotton's drummer. For about 10 years, I played with him every Monday night up in Northampton, Massachusetts. And then with Sweet Daddy Cool Breeze. And I needed to, I felt I needed to get the, a, a reconnection to the blues. So, so the electric bass has come back into my um, life on some level. But that's how it all started in upstate New York, thanks uh, to my father and his buddy who had those uh, records, you know, the uh, Freddie Hubbard records. So, yeah, and then it went on from there. Never looked well, back. Well, yeah, and speaking of moving on down that line, you know, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to talk to Wadada Leo Smith some years back, and that yeah. cat was transformative, amazing. Just just in a conversation, you get the notion that you're dealing with somebody that just is spectacular, you know. That, that so he is. Th- that had to be amazing to be around him and to soak in by osmosis and, and even more what he had to give you. What What did he give you and what was that like? In the 80s, mid-80s, when I was living in Connecticut, I uh, joined an organization that Leo and Bobby Norton had started called the Creative Musicians Improvisers Forum. It was a collective as, uh, you know, in the, in the vein of AACM in that concept or bag from St. Louis. So uh, I would uh, actually, I would go down, I was going down to Leo's for a few years. I would go down once once a week usually. Or, or once every couple of weeks, and I would just play whatever new compositions he was writing, and I would study his arc reinvention. So I, I, I spent a lot of time um, in his studio with him. So what was it like? It was priceless. I mean, you're you're in the presence of a of a master and and a, a musical genius. And he, and Leo was a uh, Wadada is a very giving individual. So he was very generous and. I mean, his music is a universe and language all in and of itself. So put, putting enough time in to learn his language, you know, the arc reinvention, uh, that in itself was a, a, an incredible lesson because arc reinvention is a whole concept of how one use, utilizes space in, in, a, in, a, in a, a, a unique concept where you play the space. You don't just leave space space like in the concept of rests and it's more about how do you make how do you make the silence vibrate i think whatever sense of space i have that i bring to my music to this day is is because of of wadada he passed that on and you know the at that period when i was going to his house he was writing some amazing music and uh, it was challenging as a bass player. He had, he, I remember, I had to play these these pieces over and over. The intervals were were so unique, and he had harmonics. 
I had to figure out where these harmonics were on the instrument. That in itself was a incredible lesson. I still use enormous amount of harmonics in my playing. It comes straight from studying Wadada's compositions. And you know what was wonderful? It was a it was unique that I got to record these pieces that Wadada had been writing during that period. He had written over a, quite a few months. He had written six or seven maybe 10. It was a suite of pieces he wrote for trumpet players, dedicated to trumpet players. He was going out to Chicago with Bobby Norton to record them, and he asked me, hey, why don't you just come along? We're driving out. And I said, I'd love to. So I went along. Malachi Favors was supposed to to do the recording, so um, I was there. Uh, they were rehearsing. Malachi came in. Something wasn't quite right for Malachi, so he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't stay. He just left, and then Wadada looked at me and said, you got it, Fonda. So I did this recording. Uh, it's still one of my favorite recordings out of all of them that I've done. I've done a lot of them. It's called Procession of the Great Ancestry. I mean, my playing is young, but it's, it, it has a, a, a spirit in it. And, and the music Leo wrote, Wadada wrote, was just, Amazing, and it's on. It's come out. It's been re-released on uh, Chuck Nessa's record, Nessa Records. It's a beautiful record. Kahil El Jabbar played percussion. So being around Wadada was uh, a priceless lesson. I'm, I'm, as I've told him many times, I'm indebted to his gifts and my time with him. And I only hope that uh, in this lifetime we will cross paths again, and I can play some some bass notes to some of his more recent music. I hope that does happen. You had the opportunity to really get baptized in the jazz scene in New York City in the early 80s. And for someone like me at my age and where I'm at, the closest I ever got from a kid in Kansas City is watching David Letterman and seeing some of that grit and seeing some of the musicians and kind of hearing by osmosis what was happening. What was it like to be in the middle of that kind of cauldron of artistry in New York in the early 80s? Well, you know, that it's still happening now. That's probably the biggest gift that New York has to offer. As, as difficult as life is here, and it gets more difficult, there's still young people, generation after generation of young people coming here and making something happen. So there's this... The, when I arrived, there was... People coming who were my age, uh, Dave Douglas, I remember, was just arrived, Mark Feldman, Mike Rabinowitz, I mean, William Parker was just starting his own thing. So to be around that energy at that time, was was it was invigorating and inspiring, and it, 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 um, did, it wasn't that it forced you, it, it, it caused you to work harder, and and be excited about the process of making something happen for yourself, and it makes your it changes your playing. I, I remember in particular, I went down to the fifty five bar one night. I think Tom Chapin was playing down there. Uh, Peter Lament was on drums. I think Mike Rabinowitz was there. Eddie Schuler was playing bass. And since the guys knew me, they asked me to sit in. And you know, they were playing on on some kind of level. I was new in town, maybe. I'd only been here for a few months. Even though I knew these guys from Connecticut when I was in Connecticut, they were playing in a way that I didn't quite understand what it was. I knew there was something 
fresh in it, and I was fascinated by it, and I wanted it. So what that was was folks just play more serious. They play as if it's the last time they'll ever, might ever get to play in New York. They play as if their life matters, and that, and that causes your playing to rise up, and you begin taking it more seriously. So... And so that caused me to, every time I got up, I remember every time I had an opportunity to get up and play in New York, after that gig, man, I gave it 500% of what I had. And and, and that was a, that is a priceless lesson. You It, it causes a, a musician, probably any artist in New York, for that to, to rise up to another level. And that's one of the beautiful things about this this city and this this community because the level is so high and folks are really doing it uh, like it's a matter of life and death. So it was inspiring to be here then. It still is inspiring to be here now, although now I'm in another period in my life and another period in the music business. Uh, and I know it's happening for for the next generation. They're here every now and then. I see it in the papers, I, or I'll go out and hear it, and I'll say, man, these guys are the same age as I was when they started, and they're making things happen. You know, they they start, they make something happen in Brooklyn, where they open clubs, they start their own venues, they, I mean, this this is what this city gives you, and it is a, it's, it's a priceless gift, if you can hang in here and deal with the uh, insanity of the city, and its prices, and it's, uh, difficulty. So it was inspiring to be here in the 80s and uh, it's inspiring for whatever generation is arriving right now. I know it. You know, it almost it always seems to me as though New York is the ultimate karmic payoff. It's like <laughs> it's that place where if you endure and you do what you need to do and you work hard, you get these these gifts that are beyond almost beyond explanation. Um, yeah. You know, you've, you're you a wise soul. You've been around for a long time. You've seen a lot. You've played with your heroes. And if you look back on your road right now and think about things and say you have a dream tonight, you run into yourself, you know, 30 years ago, what advice are you going to give your younger self? Uh, it would be the advice that I uh, – I already I, – I did it, but the advice uh, is – you know, just keep your keep your focus on what it is you're after and what it is you want, and don't look back, no matter what. So, if you really want to be a part of this, make that your focus. If you have a if you have a family, raise your family, but you keep your focus on where it is you want to go, and and never lose sight of that. Which which everybody I know in this town. And not just this town, all over the world, anybody I've ever met, that is what they've done in order to to stay in the music and 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 continue to rise up in terms of their art and their business and their career. You have to keep your eye on the ball, as they say. Never turn away. Not you know, not for one minute. Stay focused on where it is you want to go. And you'll you'll get there. So why do you love jazz? Ah, well, that's a wonderful question. This music, it's a it, it is a universe in and of itself, and the universe is infinite. And they say it's even expanding. You know, 
They say the universe is still growing. So that's what this music is like for me. There is a continuum. So there's a point where it began and there's a history. But it's it's ever evolving and it's and it has an open ended uh reality. It is an ever growing, ever expanding universe. So you 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 can spend your life growing with this universe, always finding something new always reaching new heights. It offers you an opportunity to be involved in that process until the day you die. I'm sure other musics may do that as well, but because this is the music I know the best, I can I can speak to that. And look at the individuality. It's unbelievable the amount of true individuals that have come with their own voice. So it it, it does, if you can find your own voice, it allows you that uh, vehicle to do it and, uh, and and to express that. That's a little bit of one of the problems folks are having with so much education is that can hinder that process. I mean, that's been a conversation in the community for quite a few years that folks are coming out of universities and they, they all sound the same. You know, the educational thing is a... Is a it's a contributing factor and it's a beautiful thing that we have it, but it might it doesn't always help an individual find his his voice or her voice in this sense so that's one of the things I love the most you know like to be able to i mean to put on a record and and hear two notes if you know it's Charlie Parker, two notes you know it's Coltrane, two notes you know it's bill evans two two notes you know it's Barry Alcho, Oliver Lake I mean the list goes on. So that's really something special and something I strive for. So maybe the other element is the fact that you, you can compose your own, you can be a composer as well as a player. So you have these, you can mix these two mediums. You you, you, you become a, a great player and a great composer and you create your own body of music. I mean, that's a, a amazing phenomenon in and of itself is... is uh, these bodies of work, works that people have created, their own music, and their, their, and their, their, their own, uh, they have their own voice. So, I mean, the, yeah, Duke Ellington, Basie, Braxton, Cecil, Chakria, I mean, the list, David Holland, the list goes on. They all created their own body of music, and they were all individuals with their own voice. Man, well, that's wonderful that this music offers that. So uh, those are a few of the wonderful things. Yeah, that's a great answer. So and, uh, I want to know from you, to, to get to the soul and the essence of you, everyone has their version or interpretation of who they think you are, your family, your friends, <laughs> your fans. But you're running your own life. You know who you are. Tell me, who do you think you are? Uh, I'm a, a human being who's, whose trajectory has been from the very beginning, from a very young age, one of a musical a musical life and an artistic life. I've wanted to be a part of the music since I was the youngest child. There was no other path for me in this lifetime. So that's who I am. I'm this musical path, and I've wanted this since I was eight or nine years old. And this is how I will finish this life on this trajectory as as a, uh, an artist, 
who chose music as his medium by which he expresses himself and uh, makes his contribution to the world of music and humanity. Beautiful, man. I love that answer, too. Man, hey, Joe, thank you for taking a minute out. Thank you for the music. This has been illuminating. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, Joe. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Boston, New Haven, New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Joe for his time, music, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.